happy Mother's Day. This is the Will Preach for Food podcast. My name is Doug. I'm pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church based out of beautiful Shelton, Washington. We're a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can learn more about us at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Thank you for listening. This is Mother's Day. I want to give a shout out to my own mom, to my wife, Brenda, uh, the mother of our two good-looking and above-average children, and to all the moms out there in podcast land. If you haven't already, pause this podcast and call your mother. Mother's Day is a day to thank and remember the moms, the grandmas, the wives, and the women that God gave us to, to bless our lives. Now, some of us have a more complicated and challenging relationship with our moms due to any number of issues or circumstances. And for some, the ability or opportunity to have children has eluded you. And some of you are mothers whose own children are estranged or distant or died too soon. A miscarriage, an abortion, an accident, a cancer, an addiction. Mother's Day is complicated. So, the fact that this week we start talking about abortion again, the week before Mother's Day, the noise and debate about legislation and, and uh, court rulings about overturning Roe versus Wade, leaving it to state legislators to regulate reproductive rights, leave it to human empires and political systems to find ways to pit the most vulnerable segments of our population against each other, a woman's right over her body versus the rights of unborn babies. Well, at least Viagra is still covered under insurance. Meanwhile, the fourth Sunday in the season of Easter, this weekend, the focus is on the image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. John's vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation is a playful and powerful picture of the Lamb of God who surprisingly and victoriously turns the tables and the sheep becomes the Good Shepherd leading to safe pastures, many mansions, and living water, a countless number of multitudes uh, comprised of people of every nation, color, gender, and language. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Revelation says, including the tears we weep for victims of war in Ukraine and Palestine, grieving mothers, and everyone put down and left out because of the color of their skin, the language they speak, or their choice of pronouns. And today at Faith Lutheran Church, we bless prayer shawls, a week after blessing the Lutheran World Relief quilts that we sent out. That reading from Revelation 7 alludes to those given white robes to wear, encouraging them to hang in there. And that seems to me like a great image for these prayer shawls, handmade by women and men created in God's image. These textile arts and gifts symbolize how the Spirit knits us together to form the body of Christ. Woven prayers, sacraments of healing and compassion, expressions of the tender mercy of the God uh, who shelters and gathers her chicks like a mother hen, the Good Shepherd. Today, I'm going to focus on a fourth reading assigned for this Sunday, one from Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 31. My sermon title is A Disciple Named Tabitha. A reading from Acts, the ninth chapter, beginning at the 31st verse. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Leda. 
There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up and all those who lived in Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Leda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Leda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then she called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented then he called to the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. So the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the early church. It's written by the same people, uh, the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. By the way, this summer, my Wednesday Zoom Bible study will take a closer look at the entire book of Acts. Email if you'd like to join us. But the story of, of Acts begins with the, the ascension of Jesus into heaven, then the day of Pentecost when, the, when God unleashes the Holy Spirit into the world in a new way, giving birth to the church. The book of Acts could have been named Adventures of the Holy Spirit. Now here in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, Luke gives us a kind of snapshot of the state of the church about five or ten years in, uh, where the apostle Peter seems to be the main leader. The beloved disciple John had already headed off to Turkey, it appears, and Saul, later named Paul, had been converted but hadn't yet begun his mission work among the Gentiles. So led by Peter and other disciples, the church had spread modestly out from Jerusalem, Judea to the west, Samaria and Galilee to the north. And several small faith communities were enjoying a season of peace, experiencing edification, it says, that is being formed in the image of God, foundations of faith and community being set deep. They lived in the fear of the Lord, guided and directed, and led by the Holy Spirit. We catch up to the Apostle Peter in Lida, a small community located halfway between Jerusalem and the coast of the Mediterranean, where he heals one of the Lord's people there. And while in Lida, he's summoned to the coast, to a town called Joppa. A disciple named Tabitha had died. This time, the Spirit works through Peter to raise her from the dead. People witness the miracle and believe in God. Peter stays in Joppa with a fellow named Simon, and the stage is set for the next story in the book of Acts, chapter 10, that of Peter's vision and a visit from a man named Cornelius. Now, this is all pretty standard early church history stuff except for the remarkable detail that this disciple is a woman named Tabitha, in Greek circles known as Dorcas. And what is remarkable is that this detail is apparently unremarkable. A disciple named Tabitha. She heads up a ministry in that church, uh, providing clothing and food for the poor and marginalized. 
She appears to be to have been an entrepreneur, a businesswoman in the textile industries, a modiste who employed the services of widows, maybe other widows, if she was a widow herself. They worked hard. They needed the income. There was enough of a profit margin to pay for extra robes and clothing that they gave to the poor. No wonder then her death was seen as, as a threat not only to the existence of this ministry to the poor, but also to the livelihood of these widows. Needless to say, the resurrection of Tabitha was a big deal. Certainly for the disciple herself, though one wonders exactly how it must feel to be brought back like that. I mean, even death isn't an excuse to stop serving on a church committee. (laughs) But the ministry is strengthened. The scripture says, the widows are once again assured of their livelihood and news of the miracle prompts many in Joppa to believe in Jesus. Peter learns a lot too. See, it turns out he stays in town for a few days, living with another tradesman, a fellow named Tanner, uh, named Simon the Tanner. But listen to what happens next. In Acts chapter 10, while staying in Joppa, Peter has a vision from God in which he is told that whatever and whomever God has made or declared to be clean ought not to be dismissed, discarded, or shown disrespect. The vision is specifically regarding kosher foods. One reason Christians really like Acts chapter 10 is because it means that we can eat bacon. But Peter also applies this vision directly to the next encounter that he has, namely that a foreigner, a Gentile man named Cornelius, and his Gentile, not Jewish friends show up. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter connects the dots between his vision and this unexpected visitors from some disciples who weren't Jewish. Oh, he says, now I understand. I realize how true it is that God does not show partiality or play favorites, but accepts from every nation those who fear God and do good. That is to say, entry into the kingdom of God, participation in the community of faith on earth, isn't about genes. It's about God's faithfulness. Can non-Jewish men be disciples? The story of Cornelius says yes. And can women be disciples? The story of Tabitha says yes. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears God and does what is right, which is precisely how the Bible describes Tabitha, right? Verse 31, they were living in the fear of the Lord. In verse 36, she was always doing good and helping the poor. The story of a disciple named Tabitha teaches us just how expansive and inclusive is the kingdom of God. She is one of dozens of strong entrepreneurial disciples, leaders, and preachers who happen to be women, recorded in the Bible, along with the likes of Elizabeth and Mary, Priscilla, Damaris, and Lydia, Tryphena and Tryphosa, Junia, Julia, Lois, and Eunice, and those are just a few of the ones that actually managed to get their names listed in the Bible. So you need to know that my mom is a Tabitha, Actually, her name is Tiger. Um, her, she used to have another name. That's the long story. But my mom, for my purposes today, is a Tabitha. My mother is one of the most passionate and gifted disciples of Jesus that I know. She is a strong entrepreneurial woman who entered ordained ministry in the Lutheran Church some 40 years ago when people just assumed that pastoral ministry was for men only. And the thing I know about my mom and I have never truly appreciated about her is how much stuff she had to put up with. 
from countless men and even women over the course of decades of service to God, men and women who have ignored or obscured the biblical witness, who were blind to the Holy Spirit, who were unable or unwilling to see and celebrate the brightest light of Christ you'll ever meet. She has had to put up with criticisms and glares, disrespect and disregard, patronizing clergy and insufferable church leaders in her own congregations and in the eyes of others. And she did all this, does all this, for the sake of the gospel. So, Mom, thank you. I don't think I've ever expressed it deeply or often enough. Thank you. I am so proud of you, and I am proud to be your son. Speaking of strong women, my wife Brenda, she's a Tabitha too, and then there's my young, beautiful, queer daughter, Hannah. She's also a Tabitha, a growing disciple of Jesus Christ, the Christ who shows no partiality but accepts people from, of every stripe, all those who fight the good fight and live in the fear of the Lord. Hannah is a precious child of God because God claimed her and named her as such. And she's my little girl. And I'm grateful and proud to serve in a denomination and a congregation that welcomes and celebrates the Tabithas among us, women who follow Jesus, who care for the poor and do good deeds. I'm grateful that little girls and little boys alike are taught here and shown that they are all created in God's image just as they are. And they are loved just as they are. And they are called and equipped to serve just as they are as acolytes, committee members and pastors, community leaders, business executives, and maybe even the President of the United States someday. Now let's swing back around to that question about abortion and the conversation about Roe versus Wade. Five things from my perspective. First thing is that the whole abortion question is complicated. There are a range of beliefs and convictions regarding Roe v. Wade, including the sanctity of human life and the fundamental right of a person to be able to make decision about his or her own body. Second, um, we have to ask questions about what is the personhood of a fetus? When does life begin? What's the nature of the human soul? These are ideas that are evolving and elusive and no, the Bible doesn't give us a clear answer. Number three, I'm leery of any efforts by government to assert control over the, women, uh, over the bodies of women. Centuries of slavery, segregation, and incarceration has continually sought to control the lives and bodies of black folk, indigenous folks, refugees, immigrants, children, and yes, women in the United States. Democracy is never served by a government that limits the rights of the people to make their own decisions. Number four, if we want to work to promote healthy babies, if we want fewer abortion, then as a society, let's do some other things. Let's invest in prenatal health care, maternity leave, appropriate birth control, infrastructure, and education. Let's teach young men not to rape women, and let's hold men accountable when they do. And fifth, Finally, I'm skeptical of anti-abortion voices these days because you know what? They're the same voices that disparage and deny the gifts and calling of my mother, my wife, and my daughter to this day. Okay, some takeaways. 
three. First takeaway, I think, is that we, I want everyone to wrestle with Roe v. Wade. We have a good opportunity here to join the public discussion, not on social media, not parroting the fox or the peacock, the elephant or the donkey, but in conversations of good faith around the dinner table or over coffee with friends, with family. It is complicated. We need to be curious. We need to be honest. We need to be humble. This is what the Bible calls edification. It's how we grow. And as we wrestle and pray and talk and listen, we trust the leading of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Lamb, and the mercy of the one seated on the throne. Now, with regard to this, four topics of conversation. Do, do think about and talk about what it means to have control over your own body and what it has felt like when that control has been taken from you. Be, let's be sensitive to victims of sexual assault and rape. At the same time, now also think about what is life? When do you think it begins and how it ends? Is there such thing as a soul and, and how, does a, uh, how does that all work? Number three, to think about what steps um, we can take as a nation to protect newborn babies and their mothers. Instead of pitting those two vulnerable populations against each other, what can we do to support all of them? And the last part of that conversation about Roe v. Wade, I think, is, is to ask, honestly, as a church, how do we respond? Are we, to, are we being called to provide new services or, or ways to, to lift up and encourage um, young moms or young babies? What should we do? And, and, and what can you do as part of that? All right, so that's the first takeaway. The second t- takeaway is this. Be a Tabitha. <laughs> be a disciple of Jesus, a precious child of God. No matter who you are, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what your gender, no matter where you're from, no matter what language you speak, live in the fear of the Lord. Serve the poor and do good works. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And third and finally, recognize and celebrate the Tabithas in your life. They live under a weight and judgment that many of us don't realize and can never imagine. And unless they hear clear affirmation from us, they feel condemnation all around them. Let's recommit to being a biblical community of faith, led by the Spirit, loved by the Lamb, held in the mercy of the one seated on the throne. Let's be a community of Tabithas. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Chaz, for your weekly help with this podcast. Go to our website, www.faithshelton.org, to get resources about how to get to know Christ and make Christ known. If you want to connect to a larger faith community, sign up for our weekly emails, like us on Facebook, make a financial donation to faith, subscribe to this We'll Preach for Food podcast. I want to leave you with some bonus materials. If you need to get going, go ahead and and leave. But I want to leave you with a reading from Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. I allude to it earlier on in this podcast, and I want to just share the text with you and let that serve as our benediction. 
John of Patmos writes this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the creatures were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they that have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve God day and night in God's temple. And the one who sits on the throne will shelter them in God's presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, leading them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May it be so. Amen. Mm-hmm.